Biochar is, is really just the tip of the iceberg, uh, one could say. We have a situation on our beautiful green-blue planet that we're losing 10 million hectares of fertile soil per year. Uh, I've, I've heard that being compared to 2,000 football fields every hour or something like that. Uh, and another drastic figure uh, being uh, communicated through the United Nations is that we have 60 harvests left. So, you know, five years ago, we were talking, oh, this climate change thing, that's going to be a problem in 100 years. Well, in the past five years, it's become a problem in the next five years. And the time to act is now. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's <clears throat> also easily understood that people that might not have been dealing with these questions uh, during these past five, ten years, might find it a bit overwhelming, uh, understandably so, and choose just to shut off everything, you know, go into denial. And uh, we, we really have to face these things. What we want to do with Circle Carbon Labs is that sh to show that not only are there solutions, um, they are very tasty, they are very beautiful, and they create um, you know, all the conditions we need to have a healthy, thriving, abundant and delicious relationship with nature. That's our message. This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. The biggest change between this version and previous seasons of this podcast is that there are so many new ways to get involved with the regenerative skills community and fast track your learning. If you're ready to take the next step, I've created a wealth of resources at different subscription levels to fit both your time and financial budget. There are resource packets that accompany each episode, full unedited interviews, free book giveaways, invitations to live panel discussions with experts, and bi-monthly skill building calls to explore solutions, connect with support groups, and share your journey. For those of you who want more personalized guidance, I even have a couple of openings for one-on-one -on -one consulting. This weekly podcast is just the beginning. Find the subscription that's right for you through our Patreon link on the website at regenerativeskills.com. A lot of what I spend my time on these days between working with ecosystem restoration camps, climate farmers, and of course running this show, is researching techniques and solutions for people who are working to regenerate damaged landscapes, either for generally healthier environments like native landscapes or for rich and abundant farmland. Now, since a lot of both of these goals revolve around the health of the soil as a foundation for mycorrhizal and plant life, I continually come back to the power and potential of pyrolyzed carbon, more commonly known as biochar. There are tons of examples of people making this remarkably simple product all around the world and using it to restore health to poor and degraded soils. But since I've been here in northeastern Spain for a while now, I wanted to hear from someone nearby who's worked with biochar into a profitable and ecological business. Meet Krister Soderberg the gentleman behind the Circle Carbon Labs on the island of Mallorca. In my corporate life ended in Brazil, where I was expat CEO of a Swedish industrial multinational and um, got to see a lot of the biggest industries in the world, basically see this extractivism going on and realize that this just doesn't work. So uh, 
I chose not to be part of the problem. I didn't think I could be part of the solution, but of course I became very interested in that. And after a period of, of self-exploration, I started some different projects of, um, of carbon capture. I mean, planting trees on an organic coffee farm in Brazil and doing different things. Um, I came across biochar uh, in that process of planting trees in Brazil and then had the fortune of meeting Albert Bates here on Mallorca, actually. And he gave me a book of his that he had just come out with called The Biochar Solution. And a lot of things clicked. This was 2011. And um, yeah, so I started, I, I became very interested in biochar and uh, started doing little projects, one thing and the other. When I moved back to Mallorca in 2013, um, I started doing workshops with local community, local town halls, and, um, sustainability centers. And it wasn't until 2017 when I presented a project based on biochar at the university and won a prize uh, that I thought, okay, well, it's time to get serious. People really seem to get this and understand the, the validity of it. So I found some seed capital, uh, seed funding through a, a partner and um, we started developing. We started looking for land, found this property three years ago, roughly, uh, just under three years ago, and uh, started doing our thing, started making biochar, started making compost, started planting things with it. And now we have this, uh, well, what people call the Findhorn Foundation of Mallorca or Garden of Eden. I mean, I'm getting all sorts of wonderful superlatives to describe our project. Before we jump into how to make biochar and how to use it, it's important to understand a bit about the context that Christer and his team is working in. Mallorca is the largest island in a chain called the Balearic Islands off the eastern coast of Spain in the western Mediterranean. Like the rest of the Mediterranean area, it has a very rich agricultural history and long, long history of human habitation as well as unique modern challenges. Well, we have a, a historical millinery oil, um, olive oil industry. Uh, Mallorca was also known for its almond trees. Mm. Um, I remember 30 years ago when I went, or 40 years ago when I first came here, uh, it, it was called, you know, the landscape was liter literally white from the almond blossoms. Mm. So there were 8 million almond trees on the island. Um, I remember the number. But now, like so many other things, it's been attacked by the Chilela fastidiosa bacteria. Mm -hmm. And that's just a sign for me of depleted soils, nothing else. Sure. But we do have a very high degree of awareness on the island, partially because we have 25% uh, foreign population and foreigners come here because of the nature. Uh, and they also have the funds, the money to invest in very beautiful properties, plants, and there's usually a high degree of awareness around environmental issues. Uh, so we have about a thousand certified organic farmers on the island. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think that means about 35,000 hectares are organically certified on the island. And that accounts for about 12% of the island farming surface which is a, a pretty high number. Yeah. So that's a very good thing that there is so much awareness and people, you know, are into organic farming. At, at the same time, of course, when you have 16 million tourists 
landing on the island. Uh, that puts tremendous strain on uh, the water system, the waste management system, uh, energy generation, things like that. So uh, that's something like so many other places we have to face, but perhaps you know stronger because we're a closed system. We're an island, so it's very it's very um, it's very visible, and you you feel it when you when you run out of water, you run out of water. Yeah. And and right now the main electricity is being generated off coal plant on the north side of the island, and that coal, from what I understand, is being brought here from Australia. So not very sustainable. <laughs> yeah, you do yeah. better than that, given the solar potential of that area. <laughs> exactly. Well, but the present government is working on that, and well, uh, Spain good. has has taken a, a strong path towards uh, solar. In response to those unique challenges. Circle Carbon Labs has developed multiple enterprises that leverage the waste streams from the towns and the agriculture of the area to help provide some of the needs of that same population and respond to the issues of degraded soil. They take in biomass in the form of organic waste and farm waste and turn it either into microbially rich compost or biochar. The compost is then used to inoculate the biochar as they're mixed together creating incredibly fertile soil that they then put on their market garden beds to grow nutrient-dense produce for their community. But I'll let Krister explain it in detail. So what we do is basically we take uh, garden waste or agricultural waste cuttings. We turn part of it into biochar, take the other part, turn it into compost, take any other organic residues we can get our, holds on, uh, get our hands on to mix that with the compost, get an extremely rich, a nutrient-rich, <coughs> fertile soil, we apply that in our greenhouses uh, and uh, people come and see for themselves what what we grow. And, um, and we sell our vegetables and they taste it and they come back for more. Well, the, um, <clears throat> you know, tree cuttings, garden waste, organic waste uh, makes up, uh, you know, the, the household organic waste usually makes up about 40% of our total waste stream. So, um, it's seen as a waste, therefore as a cost. Uh, we get these garden cuttings and uh, agricultural biomass waste for free. Uh, it doesn't cost us anything because we're providing a social service, basically. The alternative is that it goes into a landfill or that it gets burned on the field, which is really not doing anybody any good. Not the soil, not the atmosphere, the environment, and, and not ourselves. Um, it's less work. It, it's, but you're, you're missing out on the opportunity of regenerating soil. So uh, our, our raw material doesn't cost us anything. In some cases, we even charge for it. In the case of palm fronds, for example, which have a very strong, heavy fiber and it's difficult to uh, decompose. So we were able to uh, charge a fee for that. Uh, yeah, the, the overhead is the machinery and labor. In Europe, our labor is, is, is high. The costs are high uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, this can be done, of course, in any country. And uh, we, uh, we feel strongly also about giving living wages, digni dignified wages. So uh, we, we will pay our, our team members um, a, a good wage. And we believe in the mid to, sh to long term that we will, we will get there. Right now, we're on a reduced um, schedule because of the corona, um, but we have had some very good months 
selling soil and vegetables. Uh, if it weren't for a storm, we'd have a lot more vegetables. We, a storm broke through uh, 1,434 glass panes of our greenhouse, uh, wiped out our whole crop. So we're, we lost basically three months income. Oh, that's in a setback. Yeah. But these are the setbacks we're going to have to get used to having. This is just going to be part of our reality. And, uh, you know, like any farmer will tell you, well, you lose a crop, you just get up and plant again. Despite these setbacks, or actually because of them, Circle Carbon Labs has found just how valuable their service is to the people of their community, especially because of the very dire circumstances that they recently went through. Uh, the green lining <laughs> uh, of the corona was that our soil projects ground to a halt. But uh, we did have a lot of vegetables growing in our demonstration gardens. So we started to offer them and sell them. Uh, we delivered because we were in lockdown and people needed food. And we had just had this storm, Gloria, that basically emptied supermarket shelves after three days because no ferries were coming from the mainland. And so we really felt the responsibility. Okay, well, whatever food we have, we have to make it available. And so we started delivering uh, vegetable boxes and people were very excited about our vegetables. And I'm not a farmer. I've never been in the produce business. I didn't have anything to compare with. Uh, I've since seen a little bit what else is out there. And I, I realized why people get so excited because there is a big difference when you grow vegetables in fertile soil. Sounds very matter-of-factly down to earth, common sense, but you have not tasted a cucumber if, until you've tasted a cucumber that has grown in biochar enriched compost soil. Uh, so we, we sell soil. We're now up to a, a very healthy production level of, of about 20 to 30 cubic meters per month. Uh, we sell that. But of course, realizing this other business uh, leg to stand on, we started using our own soil to grow more vegetables. So now we have, uh, what do we have? We've got, well, we'll have within short order, we'll have around 3000 square meters of, of soil being grown. That will contain roughly five tons of biochar. In other words, we will be sequestering roughly uh, 20 tons of CO2 in our vegetable produce uh, section. Uh, in addition to reducing nitrous oxide emissions by up to 40%, which happens when you apply biochar to the soil. Uh, so it's an all round good business idea. We have survived uh, the corona, the this second lockdown, which they call state of alarm, but it's basically the same thing because Everything is just ground to a halt again. Yeah, a minute too. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, it seems like people have a lot of time on their hands and they really want to find out about this. So it's, it's very positive. It's very, very inspiring. And of course, it's great to meet people that are genuinely interested in these things. All right. So let's really get into the secret sauce of this rich compost and biochar mix that seems to be doing magic for their vegetables. As I mentioned in the beginning, biochar is pyrolyzed carbon, which sounds fancy, but it really just means any kind of carbon-based material, which we often call biomass, like straw, wood, leaves, veggie scraps, or whatever, that's been burned completely in an oxygen-deprived environment, and that's important. 
This has to happen at high temperatures as well to create the fractal molecular structure of biochar, which turns it into a crispy sponge, essentially. When it's burned without oxygen, all the other elements are released as gas, and what you're left with is an extremely porous piece of carbon that has amazing absorptive capacity. The biochar itself isn't what makes the soil rich, but rather all the micronutrients, microorganisms, and moisture that absorbs and holds stably for a long time before it breaks down. Up to 3,000 years, in fact. The other advantage is that unlike other super absorptive materials, it freely releases its stored nutrients, microbial life, and moisture to plant roots, helping them grow and even get through drought. There are a lot of ways to make biochar, but I'll let Krister explain his process. Well, uh, for, for financial, for economical reasons, feasibility, financial feasibility, we have the, the, the technology that gives you the biggest bang for the buck. So uh, we use the Contiki. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions about it. Uh, it really makes a lot of biochar at a low cost. That's what we're, we're after. We would love to have technology that allows us to take advantage of uh, taking advantage of um, the heat generated, generating electricity, for example, taking out wood vinegar, phosphorus, and things like that. But that's an investment that, that comes with a, well, minimum 500 to a million euros, 500,000 to a million euros, and we're not there yet. Uh, I don't even know if we have the biomass. I don't know if we have the feedstock that would be viable for that higher technology because you need to have a very homogeneous standard sized. Um, so you need to treat the biomass first. So we use the Contikis. We have two of them. Uh, so on a good day, we can make two cubic meters in about four hours. Uh, two cubic meters of, of biochar is roughly 500 kilos times 3.67. You come up roughly to uh, four uh, times that amount of CO2. So, so we can do roughly two tons of CO2 uh, a day in, in four hours. Um, and we mix that with our compost, roughly 10 to 20% of the finished product by volume. And we're just getting tremendous results. Again, I'm not a farmer. I'm not an agronomist. I'm not a biologist. My major was marketing and distribution, and that's what I've done most of my life in, in consumer electronic and industrial products. So uh, I, I don't, I've never had to sell refrigerators to Eskimos. So I find products that are good, that work, and that basically sell themselves. And by creating the conditions for that narrative to be told, um, we're able to get people interested and um, get our soil and our vegetables uh, out the door. Though the basics of this process are indeed really simple, there are a lot of nuances that can make a compost and biochar mixture more effective, but that require a good understanding of the crops that you'll be using it with and the needs of those specific plants. It takes a while to inoculate raw biochar effectively, but it can do wonders for your compost pile if you add it in at the beginning. It can even increase microbial activity and speed up the process of decomposition up to 20%. It does need to sit in the compost at least two weeks to be completely inoculated though because it takes a while for all of that goodness to absorb into the tiny micropores of the carbon. For that same reason, it's not a good idea to put raw biochar directly into the soil where you're planting because that same absorption effect can rob your plant roots of nutrients initially. I guess part of the problem with biochar is that there are so many variables at work. 
You, you have the variable of, of what the feedstock is. You have the variable of what technology is available, you know, from a financial point of view. You have the variable of what soil is, is where you're at. So what does your soil need? Uh, and then you have the variable of what are you going to plant in that soil? Is it for trees, fruits, vegetables? You know, there's so many different applications. So you're working with all these variables and you have to get the ratios right. I think that's, that's the challenge and that's what makes it both interesting but also more difficult to grasp. Um, even though I have to say you can't do much wrong. You know, you can't go wrong by making biochar and putting it into your soil. The, the, the effects, the benefits might vary you know, because you can make better biochar or worse biochar, but you'll never hurt the soil. So I think that's really important to say, you can never go wrong because yeah, by making biochar, you're, you're capturing carbon and you're putting it into the ground, you're storing it. So you've already done an incredible service to humanity and the, and the planet, uh, number one. What happens when you put it into compost, just like you very well said, compost by itself is great. But when you add biochar to it, it's like putting that compost on turbo. You accelerate the decomposition and you accelerate the, the multiplier effect of the microorganisms. So you get more microbial activity, more decomposition, more ability of that soil to make nutrients in the soil available to the plants. So it's, it's, it's basically a turbo. The other thing that I like to mention in, in combination with this is because we get a lot of people saying, yeah, but how many, how often do you have to apply this soil? And I say, well, you know, that's, that's where we have to change our thinking. We have to change the chip because we're so, we have this ingrained thinking that we, ha we have to add like a fertilizer or uh, some kind of additive to the soil to make things grow. No, we don't have to add anything. Nature takes care of that if it's in balance. So when we add biochar and we make those microorganisms thrive, then we're returning life to the soil. We're inoculating the soil. And if we keep feeding that soil with organic matter, we never have to add ever anything to it. We just have to make sure that when we harvest our carrots or our cauliflowers or our red beets or whatever you're growing, even the trees, that all the, the organic waste goes back into the soil because that's feeding the organisms. And you and of course, you wanna keep it always covered. So if you don't have grass or things growing on it, you cover it with mulch. Because you wanna, you're, you're, you're giving the soil back its natural balance of life and it's life that creates life. The potential of biochar to improve soil is of course the main motivation to use it. It can boost the water holding capacity of soil enormously, helping arid regions to make better use of the little rain that they receive, and even humid regions to overcome droughts. It can help sandy depleted soils to hold on to nutrients, it can help heavy clay soils to avoid compaction and increase percolation, and it can sequester tons of carbon from the atmosphere in the process. Biochar is also known as activated charcoal and is commonly used to filter water. It's even taken as a digestive supplement. I myself used to take capsules of it to get over bouts of parasitic infections during my travels. It's a truly remarkable material that we should be directing more and more of our organic waste to produce instead of burning it in the fields or burying it in landfills. See, the thing is, when I started on this, I, w I, was, I was just, 
I was just repeating the word biochar so many times that people got sick of me and they just didn't want to even hear the word biochar anymore. Now where they see the results, they say, well, tell us about biochar. What's the deal with biochar? And now I'm saying, look, it's not really about biochar. The real stars here are the microorganisms. We're working with microorganisms. That's what we want to do. We want to make those microorganisms as happy, as cozy, as comfortable as we possibly can. And biochar, through the molecular structure of all those cavities and that surface area and those pores, create just that. It makes it the ideal habitat for the microorganisms, for them to put away a store of minerals and nutrients and keep the humidity. And so, you know, you, you start, you, you sort of jumpstart the soil. And if you keep it going, you know, it just goes on and on and on for millions of years. That's what happened to this planet. That's why we created a habitat that made it possible for us humans to live here. The bummer is that for the past 300 years, we've been taking that carbon out of the soil and throwing it back into the atmosphere, like saying, no, no, we don't, we don't want to make this place livable by humans and other species. You we know? just want to live super comfortable with a ton of excess energy in a short period of time but degrading the basic foundations that, that life is based on in this, this little window of time and like this very, very delicate comfort zone that has allowed us to thrive up until now, yeah. Yes, but, but you know, before we go down that route, of course, I wanna say that I'm a big fan of microclimates mm -hmm. and there's lots of, there's lots of uh, research and, and science uh, to show that you can create microclimates, you can increase rainfall locally, uh, you can increase uh, growth locally. Um, and that's what we have to do, because obviously, if you look at the news and you see all these reports of fires and glaciers and floods and droughts, then you know, it's easy to get, to get a little disheartened, to put it lightly but we can solve this on local level. And if enough people do local initiatives, then all of a sudden we have a global solution. Krista really hit the nail on the head there. I recently attended a biochar workshop with a local company in my area of Spain called Carbon Vivo that echoed that sentiment when one of the other students asked them why they didn't invest in a giant kiln to create biochar on a massive scale. The instructor Javier replied by saying, What's the point of pulling carbon out of the atmosphere if all of the transport to get the biomass from all of these different agricultural fields to the kiln creates more pollution than we're able to sequester? And it's true, biochar production is the perfect example of a method that makes most sense at a small and a local scale. Every industry that creates carbon-based waste could easily be making better use of these materials either with biochar or some other form of cycling the biological energy back into the ecological system that it depends on. I want to thank Krister and his team for the great work that they're doing for their community in Mallorca. And here's how you can get in touch with them to learn more. Well, thank you. Yeah, circlecarbon.com is our website. Um, on Instagram, we're Circle Carbon Labs. Facebook likes so, likewise, uh, Circle Carbon Labs. There's all the information, lots of photos, lots of videos. Uh, and of course, we're very grateful to anybody that wants to spread the word on the opportunity that using biochar in agriculture uh, provides, not only on a local level, but anywhere around the world. So we want to promote that. And we're very happy for anybody that helps us spread the word 
And we're here to show not only that it's possible, uh, but how good it is for the land and how delicious it is for our palates. There you have it, everybody. Thanks to Hug Records for this week's original music by Joe Bellingham. If you'd like to have your own original music featured on this show or just want to get in touch, you can email me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.